You're ready for uh, the turkey and the stuffing and all that sort of stuff? I guess not. I am. Man. Everybody's like, I'm at church. We can't talk about that today. Uh, don't, don't forget that it is Thanksgiving. I just, one of the things that this is not, has nothing to do with my sermon. It's just an admonition. If you read through the whole Bible, thankfulness is one of the primary postures of the heart of somebody who understands what's been done for them in grace. That's why I love this thank you note emphasis. And so make sure that you enjoy Thursday, but make sure that you find ways to be thankful Thursday, and not just Thursday, but beyond there. Um, that's, that's a good word. So uh, we are um, in this book of Acts, and we're kind of at this transition phase of this. And so we're going to do a sermon this morning is looking at what I believe would be uh, I don't want to call it Paul's life verse because he wrote it not knowing or planning or, or, or he said it not knowing it would show up in scripture necessarily, but it is his, a statement of his life purpose. But then we're going to pause. So we're, gonna, we're kind of finishing a big section of this story that is Acts, uh, the, the story of Paul's missionary journey. So he's been on three missionary journeys. We're going to kind of finish those, the story of those journeys today. When we get back to Acts, we will pick up the story of his journey then to Jerusalem and subsequent arrests and all the crazy stuff that goes on with that. But uh, then starting next week, next week, uh, Eric mentioned was the beginning of Advent. Christmas music begins after dinner on Thursday. Amen. And continues until about midday on the 26th. And then it's time to go back to rock and roll, just so you know. Uh, so, uh, but, but excited about, about that. What we're going to do during the Christmas season is we're going to pause from Acts and we're going to run to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 is this great passage where the Apostle Paul, who we've been talking about all this time, actually writing to the church in Rome, and in one little 11-verse section, he pretty much tells us all the blessings that came because Jesus died on the cross and rose again. All the blessings that we have as believers. And and we're going to look at the felt needs, the struggles and, and felt needs that people in our world have, the things that um, they long for, the longings of the human heart, the things that we wish for. And what we want to show is that during the holiday season, during the Advent season, we want to show you and your friends and your neighbors how Jesus actually answers the deepest longings of our heart and how we as Christians can actually experience those gifts, the gifts of hope, the gift of being loved and cared for, no matter what your story is, your background, the gift of, of joy to finding true and lasting happiness and joy in life, the gift of peace, uh, which is um, just wholeness and beauty and the, the, the war being over, all right? And so that's what we're going to do. With the, the, those themes coincide with our Advent candles and will be all part of the thing. And uh, hopefully we will start singing Christmas music next week. Hint, hint, Eric. Um, and so uh, uh, we will uh, uh, start you know, getting into holiday spirit. But this week we're kind of rounding out the story of Paul's missionary journeys and acts, if you've been with us. Um, and I read a story, or I saw it on TV first, and I went and found it, and I was like, holy cow, this is crazy. This runner whose name was Camille Heron, a female, participated in a race that was a 100-mile race. Now, my first question is, why? Why would anybody in their right mind want to run 100 miles? But this Camille Harris ran this 100-mile race, and she actually set a world record in this race of 100 miles. Uh, she was running uh, this race 
with an average time uh, of about 7 minutes and 30 seconds, 37 seconds per mile. Not for a marathon, for 100 miles. She was doing 7.5-minute miles. She won the race by 30 minutes, beating the second-place finisher, who was a man. So she outran every dude. Who says women can't win these things, right? Yeah. Hear a lot of amens there. Can't get an amen when we talk about Jesus, but if women win a race... Glory to be to God. No, I'm joking. Anyway, so, so she wins a race by 30 minutes and set a world record. And so there was much uh, you know, adulation, uh, excited about what she had done, what she had accomplished. She's the fastest person ever to run 100 miles, except, except. Some people came back in and actually re-measured the race course and found that she actually only ran 99.8643 Three, six miles. She was, the finish line was actually 716 feet short. And therefore, what she thought was this glorious thing was all lost because she actually probably ran the wrong race that had the wrong finish line. You, you, you know, we can run a race and give our lives to things and run all the way to the end. We could start running this race when we're in our teens and 20s and feel like we're charting a course that has value and meaning. We can get into our 30s and keep running and end up in our, you know, all the way through 40s, 50s, 60s, near the end of life and, and all of a sudden realize that as, as we approach the finish line in our lives, that we've spent our whole life on the wrong race, on the wrong course, and it has the wrong finish line. And that would be a tragedy. My goal in here this morning from these amazing words in two places from the Apostle Paul, this man that we've been talking about for so long, but two words that kind of bookend an idea is to challenge you to run the right race, to run it well, and to get to the finish line. I say this this morning, coming from a place as a family, where in the last four plus months, we watched our two dads and grandpas reach the tape. And what I can tell you is that there was an unbelievable glory in the passing. While we grieve and mourn, there was an unbelievable glory in the passing of both of our dads, my dad's and Heidi's dad, because when they hit the tape, they reached the finish line, they did not have any regrets. They had run the race well, their race well. And what I want to do today is just, like I said, this is an amazing moment. We read it last week, but we're going to hit it again today, this amazing moment where Paul, this, this gospel globetrotter, the person who is taking the gospel to the world, has this tender and sweet moment with these, uh, the, the pastors or elders of the Ephesian church, the church in Ephesus. And he's challenging them to run their race, to, to lead this church, to love Christ, to make much of Jesus, to pour their lives into something. These are men who, in the previous three years, like some of them were probably involved in the occult. They were probably like, like involved in doing seances and witchcraft and magic arts, which was huge in this city. Most of them were probably worshipers of Artemis, 
the goddess of the city. But they had met Jesus because Paul had preached the gospel. And now these men have not only met Jesus, but they're walking as disciples. They're following Jesus. They're following Jesus to the point where not only are they disciples, they are now disciple makers. They are investing in the lives of others. They're continuing Paul's ministry. They're preaching Christ. They're loving the church. They're giving their lives for the cause. And they, they, these men are, are valuable to Paul's effort. Paul has left these sort of people in every city he's been to as he has preached Christ, seen people turn from their idols, turn from their ways, and run to Jesus and trust him, knowing that this is the hope of our lives, that the finish line in Christ is beautiful and worth it and valuable, that Christ is our only hope, that he is the only one who offers authentic salvation that can actually change us in this life and give us the hope of the resurrection and the one to come. And so in every city, there are people who've been disciples, who are now growing and following Jesus. And here at Ephesus, he has this moment as he's hopped on a a ship, leaving uh, Greece heading to Jerusalem and he has had this moment to pause on this little bitty town of Miletus which is right outside of Ephesus to have a conversation a final moment with these men and in this Paul talks about his life and their lives but central is this moment where in this conversation Paul says this if you have a Bible, notice we, we've been having the Bible reading for you, but we just have two short passages this morning. One is from this text, and in a few minutes we'll get to another text in 2 Timothy. If you have a Bible, grab it. If you have an app or a phone, grab it and find Acts chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible at the end of uh, some of these rows, there are baskets. We would love for you to grab one of those Bibles, read along with us. Uh, we'll be on page 1030, and then we'll be flipping over to page 1099 and that Bible. Um, if you don't have a Bible app on your phone yet, phone yet, get one. They're free, and it gives you the phone right in your hands at any point in time. And so uh, find here Acts chapter 20. I'm going to read verses 22 through 24. And, and then we're going to talk about Paul and his journey, and then we're going to get to this other passage in a minute. So Paul's talking. He's just said he's, he's been faithful to testifying to both Jews and Greeks about the goodness and the grace of God. Verse 22. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But, pause there. Paul has been traveling, and everywhere he's gone, he's, he's been getting in trouble. He's had a group of people harassing him. Often it's been Jewish people who have come at Paul because he, as a, as a Jewish person, has turned to Christ as a Messiah and now is this missionary that is convincing people all over the world to do this. But he's also causing Jews to be friends with Gentiles in the church, and that's just a shame from their point of view. And so they are persecuting him, but he's also now starting to get persecution from people who are in the Greco-Roman world because he is also causing people to leave the gods of uh, the, the Greece and Roman pantheon of gods and come follow Jesus, and they're not going to live with one foot in idolatry and one foot in church. They're going to love Christ with all their life, and it's actually affecting the way they live which in the city of Ephesus affected the economics of the city. Everywhere he's going, Paul's in trouble. But he has heard the Spirit of the Lord say to him, 
I want you to go to Jerusalem. Now, we were told earlier why. He is delivering an offering. This church in Jerusalem is under a significant amount of suffering. First of all, because that church, uh, is the, the city of Jerusalem, the region around it, was experiencing a famine. But on top of this, Jewish people in Jerusalem who'd become followers of Jesus actually were being marginalized and cast out of society. So they're in a place that's suffering already, and that suffering is compounded because they've trusted in Jesus. And now Paul has been going from city to city to city collecting offerings from all these other churches, churches that are thousand miles away from Israel, thousand, a, a long way from Jerusalem. These other churches have no relationship, but these churches have been uber generous to give for their brothers and sisters of Christ whom they don't know. Now, Paul has this offering. Now, it would have been easy at this point for Paul to hear, hey, you're in trouble. You're going to get harassed. You're going to get imprisoned. You're going to like to hear these words from the Spirit. And we're going to find out when we come back to Acts that literally there are prophets, like Old Testament-type prophets who point at Paul and go, this is what's going to happen. It's not going to end well. But Paul is hearing this. Meanwhile, so it would have been easy for him to say, all right, I'm going to give my money to all this money to these six guys. Nobody knows them. They can show up. They can find James, who's the pastor of the church, the, 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 kind of the lead elder of the church in Jerusalem. They can hand that money off, slip out of town. Nobody will know it. It would have been really easy for Paul to do that. But the Holy Spirit of God has told Paul that he wants Paul to deliver the, the funds. And now Paul is saying, the Spirit has bound me to this, yet the Holy Spirit has also said at every juncture that everywhere I go, there's going to be imprisonment and, and, and harassment and, and beatings, and it's not going to be an easy life, and I don't know what's going to happen to me. He does later even look at the Ephesian elders and say, I do know this, I'll never see you guys again. It's a painful but tender moment. But I don't know what's going to happen to me. But, verse 22, 24, I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. I believe that if, if Paul ever gave a life purpose statement, this is it. This beautiful text is also, for a lot of people, has become like a life verse for them. And it's a really good one. And not, not everybody has to have a life verse. I think it's a good idea to have a verse that you're like, hey, this verse encapsulizes really how I see my life and how I see my ministry and how I see my mission. Uh, it just, they're, 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 most of us should be able to find a passage that just really makes sense to us. But for Paul, here's what he says. Listen, I don't, I don't think my life is that important. But what is important is that I finish the course. I complete, complete my ministry. And the term, finish the course here, is an interesting phrase. As you read it in the ESV, you may not pick up on this, but it's actually a phrase that very much connects the Christian life to athletics. Which means, woohoo, we're going to talk about sports this morning. Some of you are like, amen. Some of you are like, oh, please, God, no. Uh, he, he compares it to a race, to running a race, to running 
and finishing the course, finishing, getting to the finish line, finishing the race. And Paul says, listen, this is what I know I'm about. I need to run the race that God has given me. I need to pursue this course. Whatever the Holy Spirit calls me to do, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to run this race, and, and I want to, it is my, my passion, my purpose in life, that if I die running, I die. But I am making it to the finish line. I am not giving up. I am not burning out. I am going to keep running until Christ calls me home. And, and my goal in life is that when that happens, I will know my ministry's done. That, that, that I have finished that course. And that in this, I am to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. Now, what happens here is Paul says, I, I, I'm just going to run. I'm going to keep running. I'm going to keep moving. What Paul says here, what he communicates then to these Ephesian elders is this, that I'm going to keep running until I hit the end. Paul leaves here. He goes to Jerusalem, and I'm giving you a preview of what's going to happen for the rest of the story of Acts. When he gets to Jerusalem, he gets arrested by the Romans because he was getting beat up by the, by the Jewish people in the temple. He gets arrested by the Romans, and then the Romans beat him up to find out why he was getting beat up. They literally take him in after getting beat up by the Jews. They take him in a room and start beating him so that he will tell them why those guys were beating him up. That makes a lot of sense, right? He then is under arrest for two years in Israel. He's taken to northern Israel where he stands trial before two different governors and one king. None of them let them go, even though all of them know he's innocent of anything in Roman law. Paul appeals to Caesar. He's going to be put on a boat. In that, in that, well, in that journey on a boat, they end up in a hurricane uh, that almost kills everybody. But God, the Holy Spirit tells Paul that they're all going to survive. They end up on an island and he gets bitten by an asp. And everybody steps back thinking he's going to die, but God heals him. But like it, none of it goes well. This is not like weekend at the beach having a good old time. Everything he does from here on out is one step into harder, harder life and another as he is running the race. He ends up in Rome. He's there for two years under arrest. We know that in the story he eventually gets released from this imprisonment where he keeps running. He just keeps running. So he's running on a boat. To get to Rome, he's running while he's in prison in Rome. There's a, a hint from the book of Philippians that they have to keep changing the guards to come stay with him while he is under arrest in uh, Rome because if they leave a guard with Paul for more than a day or two, that guy's going to leave their Christian because he's going to share Jesus with them. He then leaves Rome. He actually doesn't die in this account and Paul keeps going. He goes to Crete. He may go to Spain. He preaches the gospel everywhere. He just keeps running. You just hear him, run, Forrest, run, run, Forrest, run. He just keeps going, keeps preaching, keeps saying my life doesn't matter. What's most important to me is to finish the course, to get to the finish line. He just keeps running. Eventually, his running gets him in trouble with the Roman government again. He gets arrested later in life. And, and, and from here, he does not give up, but he knows. He knows the finish line is closer. And, and after years of hardship and struggle and turmoil, he writes another letter. He writes a letter to a man named Timothy, who is one of the people we've met in Acts. Timothy is now leading the church. He is one of the elders in Ephesus with these men that he, Paul is leaving in the first story. Timothy is 
being poured into by Paul to be his son in the faith. Timothy is the one who now carries the mantle. And Paul writes two letters to him that are in our New Testament. We call them First and Second Timothy. That if you want to summarize it, it is Paul looking at Timothy and going, Son, run. Don't give up. I see sometimes that your ministry is growing cold. You are gifted. God has, the Spirit has filled you. Don't stop running. Don't stop preaching. Don't stop your course. But then he gets to the end of 2 Timothy. Paul, now taking the statement he said in Acts, is writing himself. And if you have the Bible, flip over to 2 Timothy chapter 4 and hear what are among the last words because he's going to say these words and then after these words, he's going to give a final uh, salutation and he is going to sign off. And these are the last words that Paul will ever put on paper that we have recorded from his pen. Listen to what he says. Verse 6, chapter 4. I am already being poured out as a drink offering. The time for my departure has come. You see, he's there. This picture of a drink offering is an offering in the Old Testament, a Thanksgiving offering where they would take a cup of wine and then thanks pour it out right before the altar, giving thanks to God who has given them so much. He's like, the, 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 the pouring out of the offering is my life. Nero is waiting. He has issued a judgment. I don't know what the day is, but my blood is going to be spilt as an offering, my life as an offering for my God who has saved me. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. That right there you just read is the same phrase in the Greek as Acts 20, 24. But the first time he says, I want to get there. Now Paul is saying, I've reached the tape. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Therefore, henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of light, righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also for all who loved his appearing. What a great bookend. First, Paul says, I want to reach the finish line. And now Paul has run for years after that and years before that, just being faithful, just being faithful of running the race God has set before him. And now at the end of his life, he says, I've finished the race. I've made it. If you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're a disciple, I love you. That's the goal. That's the goal. 
Now you may say, but wait a minute. Paul's like the Usain Bolt of the gospel life. I mean, does this mean I have to leave everything and go be a missionary? Maybe, but not necessarily. Remember that the people he's talking to in Ephesus are going to spend the rest of their life in Ephesus. Discipling other people in Ephesus who are going to be part of a church there. We don't have Paul's race. But the goal, the goal is to run the one that I have with the same aim and the same purpose and the same passion that Paul has it. To not get to the end of the finish line and think I've crossed it and realize I ran the wrong race, I got to the wrong finish line, what I've done has not made sense. And what Paul is trying to say is the way for us to find worth and meaning and joy and hope in our life is to run. This race, the race God has for you, yet that race has some similarities, some things that are the same, whether it's Paul or whether it's you or me or whether it's some missionary who's gone to Africa, that we have the same basic aim and goal. And that aim and goal is really simple. We, our lives are here to make much of Jesus. That's the race to make much of Jesus with our lives. Like, my life is not of that important. What's important is that my life is about making, making much of Christ. When I do that, when my life has that aim, then when I reach the finish line, I can pass into eternity knowing it was worth it. Listen, you, you could be that and be a missionary or a farmer, or a school teacher, or a banker, or a housewife. But, but what is that race? And, and I think that race is running the course the Lord has set before you, and it's kind of like there's two legs running. And by the way, me giving a running metaphor, I hate running. But we're running. We're one, one leg. And, and one leg that is always present that we have to keep pumping is the faith leg, that we keep, like, we keep turning to Christ and trusting, like faith in what the gospel is, that he has died and risen again, and he is my king and my ruler. And I, I just, like, I trust in Jesus, no matter what that day, no, no, no matter how rocky the trail is, no matter how much it feels narrow and I can't make it through, I just keep lifting that leg of faith where I turn to trust in Jesus. And the other leg is the faith, the, the, the leg of obedience, where I say, whatever Christ calls me, I will do that. And so I'm obedient to the word of God, where I find things in scripture, and I go, I don't want to live that way. But what I do is I pump the leg of obedience, saying, but I will be obedient to what Christ has called me. As I read the scripture, as I come to church and hear the word preached, I'm obedient, living in faith and obedience. And sometimes that, like Paul, means I don't have a chapter and verse, but the spirit of God has called me. I can't do anything else but what God has told me. And I feel like through the word, the Spirit has called me. And so not everybody is called to go to Jerusalem. Paul was. And he says, listen, the Spirit is telling me I must go. So what's he do? Faith. I trust the Lord. He's good. Obedience. I'm going to go. Faith. I trust the Lord. He's, he's patient with me and he has saved me. Obedience. I'm getting on a ship to go to Jerusalem. You see that? Faith and obedience. And here's what we do. And while we're running, every once in a while, all of a sudden we realize we're off course a little bit. And then we have to walk in repentance, which means we've got to come back to the race that God has called me of making much of Christ with my life with every step of the way. And I keep pumping my legs. Sometimes my back hurts. Sometimes my knees hurt. Sometimes I'm tired, but I keep trust and obey. Trust and obey. Trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. 
You see it? That, that, that's what the race is. That's, that's what Paul's saying. At first he says, I'm, I'm not giving up. I'm going to do this. Join me. And then at the end of his life he says, there's the tape. There's a crown on the other side. Timothy, it's your turn. Run the race. This is discipleship. This is the Christian life. If you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, this is you. If you're not, I'm telling you, this is the path through anything that life has that can destroy you. It is the path through that to joy and hope and meaning in life. I'm telling you that if you were running any other race, or if you were giving up on this one, you will hit the end with deep regrets and doubts. So I'm Coach Mike today. Run. Don't give up. Keep going. Now, it sounds like I am about to give you a motivational speech. I'm not. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ that gives us both the strength and desire to run. It's the fact that Christ has already run the leg for us. And he is, there's a call here, not to greater effort, but just faith and obedience and keep those legs pumping faith in the gospel. Not my works. It's not my effort. It, when I get to the finish line, it's not the, the prize that we're talking about. We'll hit this in a minute and explain why it's this way. The prize is not saying, well, if you beat everybody else in the Christian church, we're running against each other. Paul wins. I'm in like 92,862nd place. I'm going to show you in a little bit why if you run, you win. You finish first, okay? We'll, we'll, we'll get to that. And it's the gospel that causes us to do this, but we run. We just keep running. And, and from these, these texts and one other that I will pull in here for a few minutes, I want to talk to you about just a little bit about what it looks like for us to run. What, what, what are some keys to running well? My goal here is to challenge you to keep running. Let's run tomorrow and then the next day because really it's, it's a day by day. It's, Paul is not saying I'm running to the finish line. He's saying my goal is to make it there. The way I make it there is I run tomorrow morning. And I run through whatever is in front of me that day with trust Faith and obedience. Faith in Christ, obedience to what he's called me to do. And then I run Tuesday. And then I run to the dinner table on Thursday and I eat a little thank turkey, but I make sure I'm thankful for it, right? And, and, and whatever the, the day has for you, we just keep running. And so some keys to understanding this and running well, your race. And the first is just run your race. Now, I've already alluded to this. Run your race. You're not Paul. Don't try to be Paul. This is not saying you must live your life like Paul. None of us are, are probably going to have a trek to Jerusalem. We had a few people in our church who had a trek last week to Jerusalem, but that's over. We're moving on, okay? Now it's time. Like, but, but uh, you know, some of, by the way, we had a couple families who went to Israel this last week. For those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, there you go. Uh, but but now, now we're, we're, we're running and tomorrow has a challenge for you. You're not Paul. You're not comparing yourself to Paul. You're not trying to be Paul. In fact, when Paul's writing here, next to him is Dr. Luke. 
Dr. Luke is not going to pastor. Dr. Luke is not going to lead a church. Dr. Luke, though, is a physician who cares for Paul on the journey. Dr. Luke is also somebody who is an unbelievable writer. And the way the Lord's going to have him run his race is that part of what he's going to do is he's going to record the life of Jesus and he's going to go find every eyewitness he can find and, write, and, and record the life of Jesus. And then he's going to tell us about the missionary efforts of the church in the first century. And we now have the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts because Dr. Luke ran his race. His gifts, his ability. He's not Paul. He's just a doctor who has pretty good writing skills. And the Spirit uses him to do this. We have uh, the, the Ephesian elders are here. We don't, let's, you don't know anything about them. They are part of this cloud of witnesses that this guy named Count Zizendorf, who uh, lived in Europe in the, uh, I think in the 1700s, said, here's the goal of mo- for most of us. The goal for most, most of us is to preach Christ, die, and be forgotten. Yet, that act of preaching Christ leaves a trail of people who believe They'll never know your name, but there is an eternity where those, those people, there will be a chain of events from those people to the next people to the next people because Christ has used you. And the Ephesian elders, we don't know anything about them. Later, Timothy comes back with this group of men. We don't know their names. We don't know anything about their life situation, but we know that God has called them to run the race. And here, Paul is saying, run your race. Run your place. It is not a call to rugged individualism. I'm not saying find your race and pursue it. That sounds like Disney. What the gospel says is run to Jesus and what he's called you to do. Yet we run. And I love this passage from Hebrews chapter 12, verse, verse 1. He says, therefore, Hebrews 12, 1 says, therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, those are the people who ran the race before us. Let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. We, we run our race. High school student, your race is into Eureka High School or into your home school or into uh, whatever school you go to tomorrow morning. LaSalle Springs Middle School students, elementary students, it's whatever. Teachers, it's, it's to run the race as a teacher. The, I mean, whatever you are, that the call is for you to pursue Christ with that and just to keep running. It is determining your close your course, your leg, finding your ministry. Yet, the Christ race has this in common, that when Paul says that, that he, he desires to run, to finish the course, to complete his ministry, to testify about the grace of God. That's us. You don't have to stand on this stage to make your life about making sure everybody knows that the good gifts of God's grace are what make you the person you are today. You don't have to stand on the stage to magnify Christ in your singing on Sunday morning and to make much of Jesus in the moments you have during the week to Develop intentional friendships where you seek to share a word of Christ to them, to encourage people around you because Christ has encouraged you to show kindness and love people, to care for the poor and be involved in issues of justice. Like you, you, you don't have to be Paul, you don't have to be Mike to run your race. 
But you read the scriptures and listen to the voice of the Spirit and then do whatever the Lord calls you to do in the context of that. Not everyone's Paul, but everyone is called to this race and that race is making much of the grace of God. And so, so run your race. What's keeping you from running your race today? Which leads to my second point that I want to share with you is that we need to shed the weight. Now, i got to be honest, a running metaphor stinks for me. Because I'm up here talking about shedding the weight, and I'm not doing a very good job of that, and I hate running. I've always hated running. I was, at one point in time, I used to be an athlete, just so you know, okay? I like the athletic metaphors, grew up in a coach's home. Uh, I played high school and college uh, baseball and basketball. I actually played college basketball for a year, baseball for four years. And everywhere we went, you had to run. It was part of the thing. Uh, it was just the way they did this. And so, uh, but then, then I, I, I joined Jerry Seinfeld where I just put my foot down. And I said, I choose not to run. <laughs> I like bicycles. I like ellipticals. But running is awful. Running for this body now means if I run from here to the back of the gym, I am keeled over, passed out, my back hurts, my legs hurt. I don't like running. I choose not to run. For some of us in the Christian life, when this idea is set before us, that's what we're doing. We're saying, I choose not to run. I'm okay with a Christianity that will give me all the benefits but, but the call to, to, to running, to, to something that's hard, that pursuing Christ with all that I am, I got way too many other things to do. And in and, and Hebrews, it says, listen, we need to lay aside the sin that clings, uh, every encumbrance, every weight, and the sin that clings so closely, that there are things that we need to lay aside so that we are, are running our race well. John Owen, Puritan pastor, said this, we need to be killing sin or it will be killing you. He's right. So, so what is the sin that is, is causing you to run the wrong direction, that is causing you to give up, that is causing you to sit on the sidelines and be content with that rather than giving your life to something that is way better than anything that this sin has to offer? What is the sin that is holding you back that is keeping you from running? But he also talks about the other things. And it's not always sin. It's just anything that, that where, you know, holds me down. You know, the, the longer we go in Olympics and running, they're finding more and more about the aerodynamics of, of the, you know, what people would wear when they're running. The ancient world figured this out. Because you know how they ran in the ancient world. They ran naked. That would be a fun event to go see. Not but they would get rid of anything that might slow them down. And there's a call here to say, listen, what is it? What is it that your eyes have turned to? What is it that, that you are wrapping around yourself? It may not be something that is out and out sin, but it is something that is keeping you from running and running well. It is something that is causing you to want to give up. It's something that, that, that you say is more important than this race and making much of Jesus. And, and you're in your teens and you begin to believe that your life will make sense if you have the American dream. And so you begin to pursue that and it pulls you off the race. It, it becomes a weight that carries you, is a burden to keep you from running all out for Christ. You hit your 20s and you begin to believe that I need a family and these sort of things, that those are all good things. They're gifts from God, but you live your life for those things. And all of a sudden it's a weight that is keeping you from running headlong towards Christ. You hit your 30s and you feel like if I don't get financial stability, 
that that's what my life is all about. You get your 40s and 50s and 60s. I mean, every generation in here, there is something in our culture that's calling out your name that says, listen, it's fine to be religious. Don't give yourself to that. If you want your life to work, here's where you go. You hit your 50s, and it's like, I now know it's all about do you have enough to retire? And then you hit your 60s, it's like, it's time to retire. Let's go play golf. And, and there is a real danger of wrapping things around myself that will end up with me wasting my life and ending up at the wrong finish line or just giving up on the race altogether. Church family, what do you need to shed today? What do you need to take off? What sin do you need to cast aside? What is it that is holding you back from running deeply for Christ? Third thing is feel the burn. Feel the burn. Running's hard. I got to University of Missouri, St. Louis. <clears throat> and the, the very first week I was there, I walked on to the basketball team and I actually made the traveling team. It was fun. Uh, it was hard. We, we, you know, when you play college athletics, you just got to know it's like all the time. And I was playing two of them. Like I was doing baseball and basketball. Graciously, my baseball coach said, if you play baseball, you're going to run. But those basketball guys, they run like crazy. So if you run with them, you don't have to run with us. I was like, thank you. Because we ran like crazy. We ran separators, which is where you get in the gym. You just keep running from line to line to line and back until you throw up. Or somebody throws up. I mean, you know. And they would say, the coach would stand over you. The coach usually was shaped like me. And they would say, we are going to run you until I get tired. You're like, get on this dang line and run with us. It'll shorten it. And then we did this thing, we would run three to five miles a day during preseason, three to five miles a day. But we ran in a line. So you're running in a line, you're just kind of running along. But what would happen is you, these people keep passing you, and then all of a sudden you were the last guy in the line, and you had to, to, to sprint and run around everybody and get to the front. We had this coach whose name was Chico Jones. Chico Jones was an African-American dude with a Fu Manchu. He was built like this. His legs were like solid and the dude just ran and ran and ran and ran. He was running marathons, he was, and he was the one who set the pace for this whole race. I wanted to kill this guy. Because, <laughs> you know, when, when, when you finally get to the front, you kind of start slowing down, but then he's pushing the pace, and then the next guy gets the front, next thing, and all of a sudden you realize I'm falling back, I'm falling back, and all of a sudden the guy's at the end of the line, that line, people at the back are getting further and further, you're starting to go, oh, man, I'm going to have to run. And, <laughs> You know, and, and by the time you get to the end, like there was nothing left. And what happens is when you're, when you're training for athletics, those, that kind of running, that kind of painful, hard running keeps you in the race. You have to run through the adversity, the hardship. It is the, the preparation, the hard running that gets you to the point where you are able to stand the difficulty of the actual competition, right? It's the way it works. People who don't run like that lose gas in the fourth quarter. They don't win basketball games. Teams who don't work like that and they're playing football will not make it through the fourth quarter. We watched our Eureka team all season long wear down their opponents all season long. In the fourth quarter, those teams didn't have the legs to play with them anymore. It's hard sometimes to get there. And, and what happens in 
the Christian life, and Paul and the rest of the scriptures allude this, we end up with this dream of I'll run as long as it's easy. And from the lips of Jesus and everybody else in the Bible, there is clarity. Paul says, listen, I'm going to run, and when I go to Jerusalem, this is what I know, the Holy Spirit's going to say, it's everywhere I go, it's going to be hard. But I'm going to keep running to get to the finish line. I have to run through that adversity. I have to keep going through the hardship. James chapter 1, verses 2, two through 4 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Here's what James is saying. He's saying what any good coach will tell you, that if you keep running through the adversity, if you keep moving through the hardship with your eyes on the prize and know the purpose of that adversity, A, you can make it through, but B, what's going on through that adversity is that you are building into yourself the things that you will need for the journey. James is saying, listen, when you experience hardship, when you experience all kinds of trials, in fact, the the language here is many colored trials. Whenever you face those trials, whenever the running, you feel the burn and it's hard, your back starts, you keep running. Why? Because that running, that that, that rejoicing in the midst of this, trust and obey, and you're, you're counting it joy, that produces in you endurance, steadfastness. And as you build steadfastness in the Christian life, it will make you complete. It will mature you as a follower of Jesus for the race. We're going to go through hardships. If you follow Christ, there will be natural hardships that are just part of living life in this world. And there will be the hardship of knowing that as we pursue Christ, Jesus said, if you, if you want to follow me, you will be persecuted. Peter says, anyone who desires to live a godly life will in, encounter some level of persecution. We're in America, it doesn't feel like it's much. It feels like it's coming, though. And we run. We just keep running. Through the hardship, whatever you're going through, whatever trial, whatever struggle, listen, you have the promise of Christ and the gift of the Spirit. Don't give up. When you feel depression and heartache sinking in, keep praising. Keep running. And oh, by the way, don't run alone. Your church family is running with you. And sometimes you need a running buddy, right? But you keep going. The last thing is we need to have our eyes on the tape. If you want to run the race, you want to make it to the finish line, you got you to have your eyes on the tape. You've got to know where that finish line is. We don't know when it will happen. We know what it is. We know that it means that at some point in time we will take our last breath here and to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That reaching that finish line. Now Paul was given a glimpse he says, I've finished the race. I've, I've run my course. I've kept the faith. But he said, I know that there is laid up for me a crown of life. And the 1950s, 1954, there was a race that they called the Miracle, the miracle Mile between a guy named um, Roger Bannister and a guy named John Landy. At the, that point in time, they were the two greatest mile runners in the world. And Roger Bannister earlier that year was the first one ever to run a mile in under four minutes. So he held the world record, but they were, they had raced several times and one would win and the other would win and they were all like right at four minutes. And so they, they, they ran at a, a British Games event in 1954 in Vancouver and the, the, like the whole, the race got built up as this 
this match between these two giants of this running. And so they ran this race, and it's this mile race. Um, Landy's way of racing was to get out in front and just run, 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 and, and if you're going to win, you're going to have to catch me. Bannister was more the patient, run with it, you know, run at a pace, and then had this incredible kick. And so what happens is Landy got way out in front. There were a couple guys who ran with him. Bannister fell back like 15, 20 yards at some point in time in this four-lap race. And, and so, uh, but during the last lap, the, the last um, uh, lap, Bannister starts catching up to him. And, and as he's running, and what happened was during the last several yards of the race, Landy, who every coach will tell you, you don't look back. You keep your eyes on the, the tape, and you just keep running as hard as you can to get to the tape. Because if you look back, it's going to slow you down. It's going to cause problems, and, and you're going to lose rhythm and all this. You, you keep your eyes on the tape. Bannister, with a few feet left, felt the presence of Bannister believing he was going to try to beat him in the last leg. But he thought he was going to run by him on the inside. And he turned this way to try to figure out where he was. And as he turned this way, Roger Bannister went by him on this side. And Roger Bannister on that race set the world record. So did John Landy. At that point in time, they were the two fastest mile runs in history. But Roger Bannister run, won the race. And he won because John Landy took his eyes off the goal and looked at something else. There is now a statue in Vancouver of that moment. It is eternally set in granite of the moment that John Landy looked back. We, the goal is to keep our eyes on Christ, fixing our eyes on Jesus, running towards him, the prize of knowing that whatever death holds us, wherever we make it, Christ will be sufficient. He will be there waiting for us. He will be good. The righteous judge will be there for us, right? And we fix our eyes on Jesus. We just keep running. We just keep going. We keep, keep getting there. And, and, and Paul is running. He says, there's a crown of life. I want you to think about this. The apostle Paul was beheaded which means at that moment, he met the applause of heaven and the glory of Jesus because Nero took his life. And in that moment, listen to me, this is what the gospel does. In that moment, the people that Paul martyred, the people that he had killed as a younger man, the people when he hated, stood and cheered him into glory. That's the way the gospel works. And so we run. Like, a lot of us are younger. I mean, our, our, that journey, it feels like it's a long way off, but we keep our eyes on the prize. We run to Christ. We make much of him. Our lives are about him. And, and so what Paul says here is, I know that this crown of righteousness is awaiting me, but not just me. For all who love Jesus appearing, that crown's awaiting you. Now, the, the picture of a crown here is not a royal crown. It is, was a wreath that would have been made out of, out of uh, different plants, different herbs, along with some different flowers. Picture the medal stand at the Olympics where they, they, they draped the medal. This is what the wreath used to be. And, and the emperor of Rome or the governor of a region would come to these games. Ephesus had a huge stadium, and, and they had all kinds of these games. It was one of the places a lot of these contests would take place, and the governor of the region would then come play, say, 
wreath on the winner's head. And here's what Paul's saying. Listen, Christ is going to put a wreath on my head. I've been waiting for this, the crown of righteousness, the crown of being told that because of the blood of Jesus, I am forgiven and free, placed on my head by Christ, the true king, the righteous judge. But he says, it's not just me, it's anybody who loved his appearing, anybody who runs the race, anybody who stays in there. Loving his appearing means, could mean both two things, and I think it's both. Loving his first appearing, that we look at what happened at Christmas, the glory of the coming of Jesus, and the wonder of the cross, and we are like, yes, this is my story. And we are looking for the day where Christ will come again on a white horse to bring history to a close. We love his appearing. It is running with that in focus and running well. What's your leg? What's your running? Run, Forrest, run. I read Hebrews 12.1. I want you to listen to the whole passage as I close my sermon. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, who is the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Here's what the author of Hebrews is saying. As our band comes up here, we get ready to sing in just a minute, and we prepare for taking of communion in just a minute. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, run the race. Just keep running. But Mike, I've fallen down and my knees are bloody. Pick yourself up. Faith and obedience. Run. Mike, you don't know how far I am from the Lord. Pick up your knees and run. I can't win this race. Pick up your knees and run. Come on. Run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. Keep running. Why? Here's what he says. He says, fixing your eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter. Here's what the, the writer of Hebrews is saying. It is not a competition. It's a relay. It's a relay. It's not a competition. It's a relay. And guess what? Jesus ran the first leg. Jesus ran the first leg. So he is the author of our faith. He ran the first leg and he ran to the cross. He defeated sin, death, hell, and the grave. He did not sin. He overcame. He resurrected. He is gl glorious, right? But he is also running the anchor leg. One day, God the Father will hand the baton that the Holy Spirit is handing to you back into the hands of Christ, and he will return. He is the perfecter of our faith. And when we stand on that podium, when we receive that crown, it will not be the crown of my righteousness. It's the crown of his righteousness. It is not because I ran well. It's because Christ took the first leg and the last leg. My leg's going to be really slow and sometimes really falling off the pace. But oh, Christ is going to finish the race. We cannot win. We all finish in first place if you run. And so what we do today is we remember that. And we come to the table reminding ourselves of the sacrifice Christ has already made when he ran the first leg. And the promise that this has, that there is a tape, a crown of righteousness, and that day where he runs the anchor leg coming. Amen? So will you run with me? That was a question. Will you run with me? Yes. Let's run to this table and celebrate this. Bob is going to come lead us. One of our elders, Bob, is going to come lead us to get to our time of, of uh, communion to reorient our hearts, to get those legs pumping, and to readjust our course back to the right course.
we come to the time in our, our uh, service uh, to respond to our service. Uh, we uh, respond to the preaching of the gospel in God's word in three different ways. First, we respond through giving. This is our opportunity for those who consider Genesis as their church home <clears throat> to worship God through their giving. That's what the uh, gray baskets are for. If you are a visitor with us today, we, do, we ask that you don't give. Your presence is a, a, a gift to us. Second, we respond to the singing and worship as we lift our voices to God in thanks for what he has done in faith, trusting in the gospel together. The third, we respond to, uh, to taking communion or the Lord's Supper. The night before Jesus gave his life, he gave his disciples the celebration as a way of remembering the sacrifice he made for us. If, if you are a follower of Jesus in a right relationship with God and have repented of your sins and trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior and have been baptized, and if you are in the right relationship with your fellow believers, you are welcome to take communion. If you are not a follower of Jesus, we want to encourage you to use this moment to think on Christ and even place your faith in Jesus for the first time. At the end of our service, we will have people over here to the right, my right, your left, uh, to answer any questions you might have and to pray with you. Paul in 1 Corinthians uh, eleven twenty three through 26 says, For I have received from the Lord what I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We ask that you take a few moments to reflect on your need for Christ, repent of your sins, and remember Christ as you partake in the Lord's table. During the song, uh, when you're ready, you can come forward. As you come forward, you will be given a piece of bread, dip it in the cup, and then take communion. Let me pray. God, thank you for this time of remembrance of your son, Jesus. Remembering the sacrifice that Jesus endured on the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.